It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. This week, we're talking about garden pests with Susan Mulvahill. She's a garden columnist in Spokane, Washington, and author of two books, including her latest, The Vegetable Garden Pest Handbook. She's a master gardener living on five acres, and I'm so jealous, and she shares her gardening knowledge through her website, YouTube channel, and blog. Thanks for talking with me, Susan. Well, thanks for having me, Christy. Sure. Now, five acres, that's impressive. You have to tell us, <laughs> tell us about your garden so we can visualize it. Well, uh, my husband and I built a house and, you know, bought the property 30 years ago, which I can scarcely believe. Wow. And it is a nice, flat, sunny piece of land. So it's ideal for growing pretty much everything. I don't have a lot of shade gardening, I have to admit. But Spokane is in zone six. However, where we're located in sort of an outline area, it's more of in a microclimate. So it's pretty much like zone 5b i'd say okay we get a lot of snow in the winter close to about 50 inches and the nice thing is we get a ton of sunshine here especially in the spring and summer so that helps make up for it except i'm a snow lover so it's okay well then you're in the right place (laughs) yeah (laughs) our vegetable garden is comprised of 27 raised beds so yes that is my favorite method for growing veggies wow And we have a small orchard where we grow apples, cherries, plums, and peaches. We have a pollinator garden because I'm all about bringing in the beneficial insects. We have a water garden with a pretty nice-sized pond in it. That's fun. And we get all kinds of challenges. So things like deer, the occasional moose. What? (laughs) Every gardener can say that. (laughs) Gophers, voles, even porcupines. So... It can be interesting around here, but we've figured out ways to get around most of them. How do you deal with moose? (laughs) I've got to (laughs) know. Okay. Well, we did put up a deer fence a few years ago that goes around our orchard, which is in the front, and our vegetable garden in the immediate backyard. And it is a total of seven and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I didn't want the place to look like a stockade. And so it's a combination of four foot tall field fence. And then, you know, the deer, uh, heavy duty deer netting you can get. Yes. We have that attached above it. And that has really worked. Uh, now, moose pretty much go where they want to go. <laughs> I've heard. They, eat, they eat things you wouldn't think that they could eat, but they do. Um, but for the most part, it's really a physical barrier that keeps them out. You know, you don't want to annoy them in any way. And we love watching them. I mean, we mostly see them in the fall and winter and they are just plain cool. Yeah. I imagine they're really majestic to watch from your, the safety of your bedroom window or something like that. (laughs) Yes. Or the front porch. And they look at you like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I, uh, we use that thick deer fencing. Uh, it's, it's still pliable, but it's, we use that for our chicken enclosure. So that's a, that's a handy multi-purpose fencing there. Yeah. It's very handy and not too terribly expensive. Right. Yeah. Now, I imagine that your, well, your garden is dormant right now. Yes. Or have you started Mm -hmm. seeds? Okay. What are you planning to grow? 
it's probably sh- easier to say when I'm not going to go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although actually I'd have to think about that for a minute. So our season, the, the frost free season is from about the middle of May to about the middle of September. And of course, you know, it changes every year and this winter actually has been pretty mild sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say mild, but not, you wouldn't call it mild. No, I would not. <laughs> but usually in somewhat early April, I'll start planting cool season things like lettuce, spinach, beets, carrots, parsnips, that sort of thing. Um, and then I'll be growing broccoli, you know, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, zucchini, winter squash, pumpkins, potatoes. (laughs) So it's a a whole lot of different things. Pole beans, that's one of my big things to grow because I grow it up and over an arbor across a pathway between between two raised beds. And um, so we grow all kinds of things. And a lot of people say, what do you do with all that produce? Well, we do a lot of canning and preserving. We store the winter squash and pumpkins and onions, et cetera, in our basement. And we donate a lot to the food bank. We share produce. And so it's just a great thing. Nice. Now we talk about IPM a lot here at Garden Nerd, but for those who are just learning about this term, what is IPM and how do you utilize it in your garden? So IPM means integrated pest management, and it's a systematic approach for dealing with pest problems that come up and doing it in the most environmentally friendly way. And so the first step involves monitoring your garden on a regular basis. And you know, it's, it's not that hard. It doesn't take much time and you just cruise through your garden and see if anything jumps out at you. You know, maybe the plants look a little wilty and you realize, oh, I should increase the amount of time they're getting water. But maybe you'll see a bug. The first thing you need to do is identify it. That is crucial because there are so many beneficial insects in our gardens. And so you obviously don't want to kill something that is going to help you deal with pests. And so if you spot an insect, you want to keep an eye on it. Is it going to get worse? If it does, then you're going to need to decide what you're going to do about it. And in my book, I mention all sorts of organic methods and organic products you can use. And so I list all of them in the order of, you know, the the easiest and least impact to more significant impact, but everything is organic. And so once you've done that, it is so important to keep good notes so you can record how did that work? What worked better? What should I do differently the next time? And also in regular IPM, the last method is to use a chemical insecticide. And I just can't bring myself to do that. So I I skip that step. I do everything organically because it's so important. We all need to be good to the environment and careful what we're using out in the garden. One of my favorite things about IPM is learning about the the life cycle of certain insects. And I loved discovering what natural predators they have. And I I know my habit is to try and find out what interrupts their life cycle and treat it on a biological level that way. Do you have any favorite things that you like to do uh, in your own garden to manage pests? 
Oh, gosh. Well, the, one of my favorite things to do is to use a floating row cover so it's a physical barrier to keep insects away from certain types of plants, especially ones that don't require um, pollination. But other things you can do is if you manage to wipe out one aspect of the life cycle, you're certainly interrupting that that whole life cycle of the insect and and it can resolve the problem. Now, we're lucky because we're in a very rural area, so I don't have a close neighbor that might have a problem with a certain type of pest. Um, so a lot of times, as long as I take care of the, the bug in our garden, a lot of times that can resolve the problem completely for me, which is nice. I realize that's the exception to the rule though. <laughs> right. Especially in a community garden setting where we have, uh, we've got plots right up against one another. And if, if one person has cucumber beetle, pretty much everyone's going to have cucumber beetle that oh, year. It's hard. Yes. Yeah. You know, we don't have those here. I, and we probably will at some point, but um, they are just nasty. They are. And well, we didn't have them until about four or five years ago. And when they showed up, you know, they're vectors of bacterial wilt and that's mm -hmm. how they're affecting my squash plants where I'll, they'll be perfectly fine one day and then wilted and sad and dead yeah. on the ground the next day. So, uh, do you have, I'm personally asking because I'm always trying to figure out how the heck to treat this, uh, w without, you know, getting out the bug spray. Do you have any solutions that you recommend for cucumber beetles? Yes, there are actually all sorts of, there's a, a really long list in the book of controls you can use. So one thing that is good to do if your garden is large enough to allow this is to practice crop rotation mm -hmm. so that it can make it more difficult for the cucumber beetles to find the the their targeted crops, basically. There are some, uh, so cucurbits are things like, you know, cucumbers, melons, squash, pumpkins, that sort of thing. There are some varieties that are resistant to bacterial wilt and cucumber mosaic virus, so that kind of helps. Another thing is if you start your cucurbit plants indoors, you can let the seedlings become more vigorous before you transplant them outside. And so they can better withstand damage from the beetles. Oh, okay. And another thing is if you mulch heavily around whatever the plant is, their host that's in your garden, you can prevent beetles from laying their eggs in their, in the soil. And so that's an example of what you were saying earlier of disrupting their life cycle. Yes. And that is, that is a good thing. Mulch is always a good answer anyway for just keeping moisture in the soil and, and keeping weeds from growing. So you get so many multiple benefits out of that, just that one thing. I know, it's so simple. Of yeah. course, I say that because I don't have cucumber beetles, <laughs> but I, that's probably the very first thing I would do. All right. What other common pests do you have where you live in Washington and what's your favorite way of dealing with them? Oh boy. <laughs> so many to choose from. <laughs> well, you know, I have to admit, as I wrote this book, you know, it, this book is designed for vegetable gardens anywhere, really, mm -hmm. because as a whole, we gardeners are dealing with the same types of things. I would have to say that 
as I looked at the list of what I was writing about, I thought, oh, we don't have that. We don't have that. We don't have that. That one sounds horrible. (laughs) And I was just thinking, okay, I guess I really can't complain. But I would say the two most annoying pests that we get in our garden are aphids, ugh, and uh, cabbage loopers. Those are probably the, the worst, I would say. And so for aphids, usually where I get them in my garden is on cabbage family crops. And since none of them need to be pollinated during the season, I can place a a layer of floating row cover over the planting, and that acts as a physical barrier to keep the aphids out. And ironically, cabbage loopers and cabbage beetles, or excuse me, cabbage worms, also target the same crop. And so by putting floating row cover over the bed, as soon as I plant seeds or seedlings and leaving it over the whole season, it keeps those two insects, the aphids and the cabbage worms away from the plants. Yeah. I'm a big fan of floating row cover. It helps in so many ways for so many reasons. And, um, and, and it's relatively inexpensive and it's reusable from year to year. So I always recommend that as a first uh, line of defense, I guess, especially cabbage moths. We have those yeah, like crazy here. Mm. They're yeah. cute, but huh, no. <laughs> yes. And it, the floating row cover, it works so ideally. I don't use any other methods to deal with them. Nice. Well, your book, The Vegetable Garden Pest Handbook, it really is so well organized. I love that it's geared, you know, it goes into detail with this laundry list of pests, literally listed by vegetable and again by pest for easy cross-referencing, which I love. And you include some of the beneficial insects that help control pests as well. What are some of your favorite beneficial insects? Well, I ran into a couple this year, or excuse me, last year when I was writing the book, that I didn't even know we had, to be honest. And, you know, when you're writing a book about bugs, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you have a heightened awareness of what's out in the garden. And so a couple of things that I've found, and since you're also in the Western United States, you p- probably are seeing them. Um, one is called a long-legged fly, and it's a metallic green fly that has some black uh, markings on their wings and they eat aphids like nobody's business. So again, because we deal with aphids, they are my new best friend. (laughs) Also, we do get a lot of lace wings and people will have those all over the place and they are voracious aphid eaters, but they also will eat uh, cabbage worms, which is okay by me, Mm -hmm. Colorado potato beetle larva, corn earworms, hornworms, different kinds of insect eggs, thrips, whiteflies. I mean, that's a very good insect right there. They're a superstar. <laughs> yeah. And then, the, but the other insect that I discovered past this past year is the snake fly. And it is related to the uh, lace wings. It's got this long skinny neck. And when I first saw it, I thought, oh my gosh, what in the world is that? And, you know, again, I want to emphasize how important it is to identify something before you do anything about it. And so as I did some research, I discovered, oh, guess what? They're preying on aphids. They eat insect eggs. They eat mites. Their larvae feed on aphids, 
different types of insect eggs and also wood-boring caterpillars, which would not apply to vegetables, but even so. So those are awesome insects. And, you know, there's so many different kinds of beneficials that we have in our gardens, you know, even spiders. And I know a lot of people are terrified of spiders, but we have to realize when they're out in the garden, just let them do their thing because they are great predators and they take care of a lot of pests that none of us want to have in our gardens. Yeah. Now, do you have a flower patch or anything particular you're growing to attract a specifically these lace wing la- what, snake fly, which I've never heard of, and I can't <laughs> wait to look this up? Yeah, you definitely have to look it up because it is one cool thing. So um, as far as the lace wings go, it's important to plant flowers that a, a variety of flowers that will bloom all season long because they need nectar and pollen. And then also if you use cover crops that are blooming in your garden, so things like crimson clover or buckwheat, that's another way to encourage them in your garden. Nice. And cover crops also serve stacking functions to help replenish yes. nitrogen in soils and build organic matter. We love them. <laughs> and feed your soil food web. We like them a lot. All right. Yes. Excellent. So you talk about having a quote unquote bug tolerance in the book. Sometimes we call that a tolerance for the ick factor around here. Uh, <laughs> Which is which is basically how many bugs you can tolerate before you get grossed out. So how can people calm their trigger finger <laughs> from reaching for the bug spray and develop their bug tolerance? Well, I think for one thing, we've been trained as a society that when we go to the grocery store, we want pristine produce. Right. You know, we don't want to see any holes in the leaves. And As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I don't want to eat bugs or anything, but (laughs) if there's a little bit of damage on what I'm harvesting, I just trim it off. You know, it's, it's really not that big a deal. But the other thing is I'm going to go back to the aphids because, uh, (laughs) apparently I have issues with them, (laughs) but Uh, You know, a few years ago, we were walking through the garden and we grow currants on bushes. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of puckered leaves one day and I thought, oh, aphids, I hate aphids. And then I thought, well, I need to do something about them, but I have to take care of this first. And then, of course, I completely forgot about them. I went out to the garden a few days later and I thought, oh, no, I got to check those poor plants. And the leaves were just covered with ladybugs and ladybug larvae, which look a lot different from the adult form. Mm-hmm. They look like kind of an orange and black crocodile, I guess I would say. Yeah, I always and, say that um, I always describe them as like they're wearing college sweaters, you know, like alligators <laughs> that wearing a, wearing a college sweater. It just looks like that. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, they were having uh, the feast of their lives and there was no more aphid damage. So, you know, I think we do need to have some tolerance and a bit of patience to see if a problem will resolve naturally through the predators that are in the garden. And I know there are some insects where you see them, you got to jump right on it. But in a lot of instances, we should try to be patient and see if the beneficials will help us out. 
Right. If there's no food for the beneficials to eat, then they won't hang around. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you have so many clever solutions in your book, so I'm really happy that it is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? I do have one. I mentioned earlier about floating row cover, Mm -hmm. and for your listeners who aren't familiar with it, it's a lightweight fabric that lets both sunlight and moisture through it, but it also gives plants some frost protection early and late in the year. But I really love it for the reasons I mentioned earlier, that it's a physical barrier to keep the damaging bugs away from plants, especially plants that don't have to be pollinated. Mm -hmm. So things like the cabbage family crops that I mentioned earlier. Now, I always used to use floating row cover over those types of crops, but a few years ago, I switched to using bridal veil netting, which is also known as tulle, T-U-L-L-E. And since cabbage family crops prefer cooler temperatures, the tool provides better air circulation than the floating row cover. So it keeps them a little bit cooler. And also you can see right through it so that you know what's going on with the plants without having to lift the cover. So you can find tool at fabric stores or online. I bought a bolt of it online two years ago so that I could get a really good price, and I now have a lifetime supply. <laughs> but the main thing is it's important to buy premium quality. That's how they describe it, and that's because the holes are smaller. Now, remember I said aphids are one of the pests for cabbage family crops. Well, aphids are tiny and they're sneaky, so you want to get something that has really small holes. And I do have to say that tool is a little on the fragile side, so you have to be gentle with it. But if you're careful, it should last two to three growing seasons. I'm really just using it over things like broccoli and cabbage, and it works great. Cool. I had not thought of that. I I always wondered if muslin would work as well, but um, I I think it's probably too thick for something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't let in enough light. That would be the main thing. Okay. I'm going to bring up another tip that I fell in love with and I can't wait to try. You have a trick for trapping cucumber beetles, since we were talking about cucumber beetles, that involves a yellow solo cup. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, this is such an easy project. And since you mentioned it, um, in the back of my book, well, in the third chapter, There are DIY projects for making your own traps or barriers, et cetera. And one of them is for a cucumber beetle trap. And the way it works is that, first of all, cucumber beetles are attracted to the color yellow, but they are really attracted to the scent of clove oil. And that's something you can buy very easily, mainly on the web. And so what you do is you attach one of those yellow plastic drinking cups to like a bamboo stake or something in your garden that is near your cucumber plants. And you put a little cotton pad in the bottom, drip a couple of drops of the clove oil, and they are attracted to that. So the important step for this trap is that you use a sticky substance on the outside and the inside of the cup because that's what they're going to get caught in. And it is so simple to make, very quick, 
and it's really effective. I'm definitely going to try it because I've, I've really gotten so frustrated when, as I mentioned earlier, the plants are doing so great and they're setting fruit and they're flowering like crazy. And then the next day they're just dead, <laughs> put into oh. you know, like a month and a half of growing and then they just die. That's so I'm, awful. I, and I usually, you know, I'll go to the garden in the morning cause they're only inside the flowers, you know, during that time. And so I'll squeeze them, I'll kill them. I have no shame on saying <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to wear gloves. Now I'm so angry at them. I just do it barehanded, but, um, basically I'll, you know, find them inside the flowers, but they're yellow. So maybe they'll go to the cup instead. I'm so going to try this. I'm really excited (laughs) about it. Well, thank you for sharing that expert tip, Susan. And thank you for being a guest on the garden nerd tip of the week podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Sure. And how do people find you? Well, my website is susansinthegarden.com. I emphasize that it's Susan's with an S in the middle there. Susan's in the garden.com. That's where my blog is. There's links to sources for the vegetable garden pest handbook. There's resource guides for growing vegetables, photos, an index of my columns and so on. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Susan's in the garden. My YouTube channel has over 300 videos on all sorts of gardening topics. I post a new video each week. So that is youtube.com slash Susan's in the garden. You're probably detecting a pattern here. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to email me, my email address is Susan at Susan's in the garden.com. Awesome. And your book becomes available when? April 13th. Okay. And you can pre-order it now, I assume. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. All right, Garden Nerds, you'll find a link to Susan's new book on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll also post links to her website, social media, and YouTube channel. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening.